Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. People not all that crazy about flying as uh, some of the airlines are returning to putting people in the middle seats. 72% according to new polling say they're not comfortable flying after some of these airlines made changes to their in-flight physical distancing requirements. Um, Now, passengers and air crews are required to wear a mask, but only 22% in this polling say they're comfortable getting on board with no in-flight physical distancing and the requirement to wear a mask. Joining us now, Barry Choi is a travel expert and writer. Barry, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Great. Thanks a lot for doing this. I I appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes here with us. Um, So, you know, this is sort of like other situations we've seen as we come out of COVID-19, right? Like restaurants Mm -hmm. are reopening again, but not everybody is comfortable going out and sitting in a restaurant and eating. It seems that's the case as well when it comes to getting on a plane and flying somewhere. Yeah, especially with a plane, when you think about it, you talked about how the middle seat is now no longer required to be empty. So you're almost uh, guaranteed to be nearby someone. Uh, but it depends on how you look at things, right? You, you know, I've here in Ontario, you're supposed to not have groups of more than 10 people. You look on social media and you're seeing groups all the time. And, you know, some people say, oh, but it's with my family and my friends and I trust them. And it's like, what, just because you don't know someone specifically, then there's a lower factor or whatever for, for getting COVID. And right. I think airlines are trying their best. And at the same time, I also believe airlines are trying to stay profitable. Yeah. And and, and I get it from a business perspective. Yeah. I mean, these are tough times uh, for the airlines. I know a lot of people are also upset. The polling also shows that people are upset that the government uh, didn't get more tough with uh, these airlines <laughs> and make them pay people back. Instead, they're letting them uh, give them a, a credit, essentially. Yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22 there. and I, I love the public for this because they're right. You, you know, the government should have mandated that the you know, airlines must give a cash refund. You know, a lot of countries in the world have already done that especially in Europe. That's why you heard about WestJet um, offering refunds if you flew to, you know, the UK. Um, but at the same time, I, I get it from the government's perspective. If they forced the refunds, then the Air Canada or the airlines are going to need a bailout, and that's going to affect the government. So, so it's like they're all, everyone's trying to pass it off onto each other. Uh, <laughs> and in the end, I think the consumers are the ones that are left hanging. Are people even flying right now? When I when I first saw this story this morning, I thought, okay, like maybe you have to fly somewhere, uh, depending on what your you know own situation is. But are are people really are that many people really flying right now? Now you just look at the regular numbers uh, here in Toronto. I was reading that normally on any given day, there's about 1,900 planes that are are coming into or departing Pearson, and right now there's like 80. So, you know, it's about 5% of planes that are taken off. And, you know, realistically speaking, worldwide, nah, that sounds about accurate when you think about it. Uh, but, you know, there is some essential travel going on. And more importantly, there are some countries and destinations that are starting to open up. So I think some Canadians or people around the world are starting to get excited about travel again. And, you know, we talk about this with everything these days, it seems, uh, in the wake of COVID-19 as the pandemic continues. But certainly we've been lucky here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Uh, no new cases in the month of July. We're a week in already, and, and we have very low numbers here. Only 11 active cases uh, right now. But um, 
this is going to change travel. I was reading an article uh, the other day by the head of Airbnb, and he was saying this is all going to change travel forever. People are not going to fly to those big cities around the world. They're going to fly closer to home, and they may very well stay longer once they get there because they don't want to be traveling back and forth and, and putting themselves and their families at risk. Yeah, I, I do think that travel's going to change for the better overall. You know, one good example is, uh, we were talking about staying close to home. I think domestic travel is going to be really big for the next couple of years because people obviously trust their own country, especially if you're Canadian, right? You, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I talk about wanting to see more of Canada all the time, yet I never do it. So maybe this year or next year is finally my time to do it. And I think travelers are going to start to understand that their travel dollars are really important. So instead of visiting the big cities, they may want to look at the smaller, lesser-known destinations. And they may they want to be more sustainable travelers, and maybe ecotourism is more important to them moving forward. Because I think everyone's starting to see what over-tourism has done for the world. And also, uh, there's some talk that Winnipeg might end up being the hub city if there's a CFL season. So other teams, players, and coaches would come here. I wonder if an area like Winnipeg and Manitoba might see more visitors because we have such low COVID-19 numbers. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing that we're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of film production, television production here because of our low numbers, our lack of COVID-19 compared to other jurisdictions. Do you think we might become tourism hotspots based on the pandemic and and the lack of the virus here? Definitely. I think any destinations that have had low low numbers who have handled the situation very well, you know, you just make the headlines. Like you said, I think it's amazing that the province hasn't had any cases in the month of July. Look around the world, like um, the Bahamas recently, they've been talking about they haven't had a single case of covid since June, uh, June 15th. And that's even part of their marketing materials now because they're, they're smart about it. You know, you look at Europe, you know, it, in the beginning of the pandemic, Italy was a hot spot and everyone was freaking out and everyone thought Italy was done for it. You look at the numbers now, they've gone down significantly and they're welcoming visitors back. So, yeah, I, I think any destination that has had low numbers and the tourism boards be smart about it, the government's been smart about it, uh, the world recognize that. Yeah. Well, that you know, we've talked every once in a while about good things. Listen, a pandemic's not good, but sometimes good things come <laughs> from bad things, and that might be a good thing for us, right? Like, we do have a lot to offer here. I know Winnipeggers and Manitobans are, are thinking about our province and our city more. For example, the polar bears uh, up in Churchill and, you know, some of the mm-hmm. other great tourist destinations that we have here. Sure, why wouldn't the rest of Canada and the rest of the world go, hey, there's a great spot to go and vacation. It's beautiful, summer or winter, and we don't have to worry as much about COVID-19. Yeah, another important thing to know right now, too, is when you're traveling within Canada, with the exception of the Atlantic provinces and some territories, uh, you don't need to worry about a quarantine. But if you're leaving the country and coming back to Canada for whatever reason, there's still a quarantine in place for 14 days. So who knows how long that will last? And like you said, I don't doubt for a second that Manitoba is going to take advantage, not take advantage, but promote the province uh, just due to the circumstances. People, like you said, have heard about the polar bears, but if they're not spending their money to go to Europe, maybe it's time to go to Manitoba and check things out. And really, it becomes a word of mouth thing. And then that's how destinations become popular. Hey, Barry, thanks a lot for doing this. I know on Twitter your handle is at Barry Choi, C-H-O-I. Have you got a website, or how can people find your stuff? Yeah, moneywehave.com. I talk about travel and finance. Moneywehave.com. Hey, Barry, thanks a lot. We'll have you on again. No problem. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Barry Choi, a travel expert and writer. So... 
Yeah, that was kind of the question I was curious about, and and he seems to think that we might do well here based on our low COVID-19 numbers when it comes to travel. But right now, as I was saying, um, right now, because there are fewer rules on planes, the latest polling says 72% of Canadians not comfortable flying after some of the airlines have relaxed their in-flight physical distancing requirements, including leaving that middle seat empty. And even though masks are a requirement for crew and passengers on planes, only 22% of the people in this polling say that they're comfortable getting on board with no in-flight physical distancing and that requirement to wear a mask. We're going to talk to the voice of the Bombers, Bob Irving, in just a second. But first of all, this report from Brittany Greenslade. Winnipeg is home to the 107th Grey Cup champs, and it could be the host city for the next CFL season, with IG Field as the hub for all teams and games if they return to play. It can change in a, in a day, it could change in an hour. Um, everything is promising, obviously. Uh, it looks really good in terms of Winnipeg being involved, obviously, as a potential hub city. While there is no guarantee Winnipeg will be the host city and no guarantee of a 2020 season at all, Winnipeg has a good chance based on its low COVID cases. We've provided some risk mitigation strategies to uh, many of our professional uh, sports teams. And I think that given our, our, our numbers, uh, there's a possibility that a, that a plan that would uh, meet public health uh, requirements could be put in place. The province says there have been no talks with the CFL this far, but Dr. Brent Rusin says Winnipeg could be a good central city. I think there could be um, uh, benefits, you know, like like we said, is that we have to learn to start living with this virus. We have to try to find ways to get back to the things that we uh, enjoy doing. But there would be some requirements to protect Manitobans as players return. The Blue Bombers say there are currently just 8 to 10 players who are in town and training. There will be self-isolation required for others returning at a later date. So those those players will be self-isolating for seven days under the team guidelines uh, with frequent testing during those seven days. And then the following seven days, they're self-isolating other than team activities. For returning American players, they would have to self-isolate for 14 days as per federal quarantine restrictions. As of now, there is still no possible start date for the CFL season. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. All right, thank you, Brittany. Let's bring uh, Bob Irving in here, the voice of the Bombers. Well, Bob, it's looking more and more, still nothing official, but it's looking more and more like Winnipeg may very well be the hub city uh, for a CFL season, which, listen, is exciting, right? Well, yeah, it's exciting and it's certainly interesting, Hal, because uh, as you and I have had in these discussions before, we're, we're going down a road we've never been down before. I can tell you without with certainty that if the CFL does go the hub route, the city will be Winnipeg, and they've pretty much decided that the only way they can play games this year is with a hub city. So if games are played in 2020, they'll be played at IG Field. Uh, now, there are many, many hurdles still to overcome, as per that report by Brittany. I think uh, one of the things the the city of Winnipeg and the Bombers have going for them in hosting games in September and October, November, is that uh, Dr. Rusin seems like he's on board, and that's critically important. You know, the health officials have to be behind this and certainly not, uh, you know, cut any slack for the CFL, but, you know, I think they have to approve of it. And as he just said there, 
Uh, there's some benefits to it, and to a degree, we have to learn to live with this virus. And to me, that's an interesting comment. I, you know, I think basically what he's saying, without putting words in his mouth, is that you know maybe a risk or two needs to be taken uh, if we're going to return to any sort of normal lives that we're used to living. So it's all still up in the air, Hal, and there's still many hurdles to overcome. But I know that Wade Miller is working and has been for weeks working extremely hard on Winnipeg as the hub city and, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and all the rest of it. And uh, whether or not it happens, we'll know in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have you on, Bob, because you hear things. Not too many people are talking. In that report by Brittany there, we heard Dr. Roos, and we heard your broadcast partner, number 97, Doug Brown, bomber great number, uh, Doug Brown. Um, but not a lot of people are, are talking. Uh, if, if Winnipeg, so that's interesting. You said if there are games, it will be in a hub city and it will be Winnipeg. So will there be fans in the stands? Well, as of now, I would say no, but uh, Dr. Rusin again himself said things uh, change, you know, regularly. And uh, I think there's a possibility that in September, October, even November, if uh, the COVID numbers stay as low as they've been in Winnipeg and Manitoba for a long period of time now, I can't see any reason why they couldn't put some fans into IG Field. Here's one of the issues I see with that, though, Hal. If they're going to play all the games at IG Field, let's say the and the Bombers play Saskatchewan in one of the games, if fans are allowed in, uh, that's a real home field advantage for the Bombers, right? And the Riders don't get to have the same advantage because they will have no home games. So in effect, uh, the Bombers would be getting you know some home games if fans are allowed, where none of the other teams would, and that would. Uh, I think be an unfair advantage. So, you know, there's, again, there's so many issues surrounding all of this that you have to examine and, and, uh, you know, work out and all the rest of it. But in terms of having people in the stadium, uh, to me, again, if, if the numbers stay the way they are, I can't think of a reason why you couldn't at least put some people in there. If in fact the league will allow that. Now these games are supposed to be played in a bubble and it's supposed to be fair to everybody would it be fair to the other teams if the Bombers were allowed to have some of their fans in there? You know, and I can see the other teams arguing against that. But that's another one of the things that has to be sorted out. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk to uh, Mark Stephen, the voice of the Stampeders, later on, because I'm curious to know what it will be like for other teams, another member of the media, another voice of a of a, of a football team, the coaches, the, the players coming here. That's going to be different than it's going to be for the Bombers, the coaches and the players, although many of our players are coming from elsewhere as well. Do you think they would, and, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, do you get the sense that they would stay in, a, in hotels or would they stay at the university? University or, or what are you hearing? Anything on that? Or what, what, what would the what would it be like for for players and coaches uh, it, playing games in hubs in one city? Well, I can tell you, Hal. That uh, again, Wade Miller's been working on this for weeks, uh, and I assure you, he has already got hotels lined up. He has accommodations lined up, uh, be it in hotels. Maybe they they can use some of the U of M facilities. Again, the logistics of that would be challenging. Uh, but uh, there's a four-point Sheraton on Pembina Highway. There's a Canada Inn's a little back the other way. Uh, there's a couple of hotels near the outlet mall now that I think they could use. Uh, and I absolutely assure you that Wade Miller has all this looked into and put to bed in terms of how you'd house the players and all the rest of it, what the costs would be. 
Uh, and again, the teams in the league are all going to have to agree with this. Kyle, I boil it down. There's two critical components here, and I think a lot of these things you just raised have already been checked out and looked after by Wade Miller in his effort to make this work. First of all, you're going to have to have the blessing of the health authorities, okay? You know, whatever the final plan is, they would have to give their blessing to all of it. And they, the league would have to explain everything they're going to do, the testing, how it's going to be done, how they're going to monitor all of this. And then secondly, the players have to agree to play. Uh, and right now they're trying to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement with Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner, that would cover this season and the pandemic and the shortened season, whether they play six games or eight whether they get a third of their salaries or a little more, and read the money for the player salaries, my sources tell me that's the government money. The federal government, in essence, is going to pay the player salaries. That's the financial support uh, they're going to give to the league. Now, whether it's, in fact, uh, you know, given money to the league that uh, the league has to assure goes to the players and exempt how the logistics of that work, I don't know. But there's your federal support. That would go to paying the player salaries. But the players have to sign off on this. And the league is also trying to negotiate as part of this deal a new collective bargaining agreement for next year, which would in all likelihood lower the salary cap. And so the players aren't going to be really thrilled about that. So if the health authorities give it the go-ahead, and it looks like they're prepared to do that, and uh, they can agree with television on how many games they'll play, whether it's six or eight, now it's up to the players to say whether or not they are going to sign off on this and, and you know, go through the risks that are involved. Uh, you know, the, the Hub City concept, which is two or three months possibly in Winnipeg, basically in isolation. Uh, you know, that, that's really going to be a critical key to the whole thing. Yeah, and you already uh, talked about what it's going to be like for teams playing in front of a, a home crowd, say, fans are in the stands in winnipeg at some point what's it going to be like for players uh from other cities playing in front of a winnipeg crowd or maybe playing in front of no crowd and what's it going to be like for you calling a game bob with no crowd well we might have to simulate some crowd noise Al. i think <laughs> it'd be weird it'd just be totally weird i've done games in in stadiums where there haven't been a lot of fans i mean toronto is at nine or ten thousand, but even nine or ten thousand—that's a small crowd for a football game. But it's still nine or ten thousand people uh, to have a game with absolutely no fans and no background noise, no crowd noise. It would be very, very strange, uh, you know. But I, you just you call the play, and uh, I think we'd probably try to come up with something that would create some ambient noise and some background noise because I think for the listener it would sound quite sterile, but. Uh, I don't know. Let me put it this way. I hope I get a chance to do it because it would be something I've never done before. It'd be quite different. Well, it would be really cool, Bob. And we do live in, these are different times, man. Every day there's something that I see on my desk and I go, man, that is different. That's strange. Never saw that before. Didn't think we'd ever see that. It kind of reminds me back in the days and the famous guy that did it. And you and I had a great visit the other night about radio and about doing play-by-play and stuff and the rush and the excitement of doing it, Bob. And it was great having that chat with you. I was telling Jackie how great it was having that chat with you, just talking radio with a radio guy. But, you know, I, I think back to Ronald Reagan, who was a famous 
play-by-play guy, and he used to do baseball games on the ticker tape, right? And if yeah. the ticker tape went down, they had to come up with a bunch of BS, right? They had to, you know, Phil, somebody bang the ticker tape. It's not working. And he was calling a game based on, you know, a few words on a piece of paper in front of him. Yeah, I know. I used to hear stories, Al, about uh, Cactus Jack Wells doing his curling reports from his hotel room. Uh, you know, he was, he was having... <laughs> With a drink in his hand. <laughs> now, those those could be long, tall tales. I don't know. But no, the, the point you make is a good one. And look, guys in recent years uh, who are doing play-by-play have done it off monitors and not yep. necessarily in the stadiums they're in in, in different uh, sporting situations. So... It has been done uh, for sure. Uh, it would again. I don't know if I could do a game off a monitor. I guess. I guess it could if I had to. I. I don't hope I never have to try that. But uh, yeah, these are different times, and uh, we're going to see how it all plays out. And we'll know how. We'll know in a couple of weeks. I would. I would tell you right now, in 14 days from now, if we don't know whether or not there's going to be any CFL games, I'll be very surprised. Bob, thanks a lot for this. Appreciate it. Okay, how? All the shows on CJOB today are talking a bit about homeschooling. In fact, some great conversations on the shows uh, before mine, The Start and Jeff Courier, and I want to replay uh, some of those conversations if I have time here today. But joining us on the phone now, Nikki Gertz, the Center Director at Sylvan Learning, uh, Learning Center. Nikki, hi there. How are you? Hi, Hal. Thanks so much for having us on. We're, we're, I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Excellent. Yes, and thank you uh, for coming on. You know, I, I don't think we're going to see it as much here, but in some areas where COVID-19 is more of an issue, there are some people uh, I'm reading that are going to be keeping their kids at home in the new school year, worried about them coming in contact with COVID-19 and continuing with homeschooling. I think some people have just enjoyed the homeschooling process and they're in a position where they can continue to do it and they're they're going to do that. At Sylvan Learning Center, what, what do you call what you do? Is it tutoring or homeschool? I guess it's tutoring more than homeschooling, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. We are a tutoring center. Uh, we work with kids from pre-kindergarten all the way up to grade 12. Uh, and we focus on a few different things. We offer skill-building programs in reading, writing, and math, and we also offer what we call homework support. Uh, So for any students that are needing uh, really any kind of support in any subject, including Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, upper math, high school science, uh, we've got all of that available. So um, any families experiencing any kind of frustration or uh, exhaustion from this homeschooling experience. Sylvan's definitely here, definitely here to be a support. Well, okay, so now we know what you do, and I wanted to make, make sure I got it right, calling it the right thing. Have you seen mm. more parents calling you for help since the pandemic when they found that they were having to homeschool their kids? Did, did business at Sylvan Learning Center boom? You know, it did in some ways. We we got kind of an interesting spectrum. We got some families that were feeling overwhelmed by the amount of work that they were, they suddenly found themselves responsible for at home with their kids. And then we also, funny enough, had the other side of the spectrum where we had some families who felt that they needed uh, to be doing more with their kids at home. So 
we did see an increase and and for a variety of reasons, which, you know, I think just goes to show what a new situation we all find ourselves in here. Yeah, so that's interesting. So in, in, in one respect, yes, business got better, but in another, parents said, hey, this is on me. I'm, I'm going to take more responsibility here. What, what is your sense as we head into the fall and, and another school year? Um, uh, what the parents you're talking to, how are they feeling about their kids going back? And, and are any of them saying, hey, with the help of Sylvan, I'm going to keep homeschooling? Yeah, you know what, There's, I think that there's a general sense of what I'll call light nervousness. Um, we're all so unsure of what school is going to look like in the fall. And I think that one thing that did happen for some of our families is in working with their kids at home, they realized that there maybe were some areas that their kids needed a little extra support or, uh, you know, extra practice in a topic. So I've really been telling families, you know, this is really a good time for us to jump in. If you've noticed any weaknesses in your child's skills, this is the time to bring them into Sylvan. Let's work hard over the summer. And then when they return in the fall, there will need to be review from the previous year, probably more than than what would usually happen. And so if you're noticing that bit of weakness, this is actually a great time to spend getting your child's skills up to where they should be uh, because that, that general review is going to have, have to happen in the classroom regardless come the fall. And that's interesting uh, because, you know, uh, when a child's at school, they're in a classroom of, you know, 20 or 25 kids, whereas now they're at home, mom and dad are, are schooling, and it's them with mm-hmm. one, two, or three kids and they're maybe better able yeah. to see those areas of weakness, right? That's exactly right. And, and we've had a few situations uh, where I've, I've spoken with families who said, you know, I just didn't realize. And and we, we tend to find a, a thing that happens is that when your child is a sweet, hardworking, well-behaved, kind kid, those are the ones who sometimes slip through the cracks in, in a subject here or there. So if, if, you, if you were able to have that chance to, to spend some one-on-one time in your child, uh, with your child in their learning, and you happen to see if something is, is spiking a red flag, now's the time to do something about it. It's, it's actually an advantageous time for that. Hey, Nikki, I'm sure at Sylvan you guys uh, work with and tutor kids that are homeschooled and you tutor and work with kids that are in classrooms and, and go to public school, regular school, private school, whatever, whatever the situation is. Can you give me some pros mm-hmm. and cons? I, I don't want you to throw either under the bus, but can you give me some pros and cons maybe to homeschooling and then compare it to being in a classroom with other kids? Oh, well, of course, as you said, there's pros and cons for both. I mean, the more, For the majority of kids, that one-to-one or small group attention is always going to be beneficial. So, of course, that's that's an automatic plus that we see with homeschooling. I think the difficulty that maybe some families aren't aware with homeschooling is that uh, in the elementary and middle years levels, it is completely up to the parents to put together the curriculum. So 
they are the ones sourcing the materials. They are the ones submitting it to the homeschool board. There's not much prepared material support from Manitoba education if you're looking to set up that program. It really goes to the parents themselves. So there's there's quite a bit of work involved in doing that. And, and I mean, the socialization of the school environment, again, is, is beneficial to the majority of kids, but every kid is different. And, you know, we're, we're lucky that we live somewhere where there are options available. And I think that schools are going to be even more understanding to those individual needs of kids as we head into uh, the 2020-21 school year, because they now have all of these resources online, um, uh, these these times uh, that they can devote to kids in these smaller groups. So, I think I think school is going to look differently going going forward. Yeah. Again, another case where it may not look the same ever again, right after this pandemic. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right, and it'll be it'll be an adjustment for you know our, our poor teachers. They've they've really been put through the ringer this this year with what they've had to adapt to and what they've had to facilitate but the positive part and Sylvan experienced this as well we heading into the pandemic we we had never offered any kind of online platform and we on a Thursday we decided we were doing it and by Monday we were running it and and it's been going great and we know that we're going to use it going forward you know, even when we return to physical school. So it's, it's, there's been positives. There's, there's more resources at the fingertips of our teachers and, and our tutors here at Sylvan to, to better serve our kids. Hey, Nikki, excellent information. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem, Hal. Thank you. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.